Hey everyone, happy Wednesday. This is Arnold Bjorn with Warm Welcome. For today's episode, we're meeting Esther Choi. So Esther is the chef and owner behind Mockbar, as well as Miss You. Mockbar first initially opened in the Chelsea Market, touting a Korean take on the Japanese ramen, which at the time when it opened was very much all that was talked about in the food world in New York City. We'll take you behind the scenes and venturing through Esther's early childhood, her grandma's importance and influence, as well as how she closed on a competitive space in the Chelsea Market to debut her first restaurant when she was just 27 years old. The story begins, though, in Egg Harbor, New Jersey, a small town in close proximity to Atlantic City, where she was really one of the very few Asians in school. I didn't look like any of the other kids. We didn't eat what every other kid ate. I mean, I didn't feel any different, though. Like, it, it was at school, I would feel a little different, obviously, mm-hmm. because they would be like, oh, you're the only Asian kid, right? Yeah. But at home, obviously, it felt the same. Like, it just felt normal. Yeah. I know a lot of people say, like, oh, you know, people would, like, make fun of you at school. I didn't really have, go, like, that, yeah. per se. Right. But I felt like I was cool because I was Asian. Because you were different, my, yeah. Yeah, that just be, might be my personality. That though. could be your personality. Yeah. 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 The, what were your earliest uh, childhood food memories for you? It was definitely like my grandma was an amazing and still is yeah. an amazing, amazing cook, mm-hmm. right? And I know everyone says this about their grandmother, but my grandma was like seriously like gangster in the kitchen. We did have a small Korean community. It was like the other, it was like the other like surrounding cities, and there was like a one main Korean church. Mm-hmm. And so. I don't know, it was a small church, less than 50 people, but it was all the Koreans in, like, that county. So my grandma was, like, the one, obviously, yeah. in charge of everything food-related. Yeah, and she would, like, source food from I don't even know where. She would, like, find all these, like, random Korean ingredients. Wow. Because there was no, like, Korean grocery store Around that neighborhood. Yeah. Mm-mm. So she would, like, go, like, foraging, like, literally. And, like, she found this, like, kosaribat. Yeah this one time yeah. and I remember she got all of like the church ladies to go over and like start picking the kosari and it was like in the middle of like nowhere I have no idea how she found it but <laughs> I think a lot of Koreans have this story where like they would like get caught in someone's like backyard <laughs> foraging <laughs> randomly that was like my grandma she she seriously was like all about the food all about the Korean food yeah or there's certain like particular dishes that really like resonate with you that like, you think about and you think about your grandma for me, it was, it was like, it's like that. It's always tied to grandma, particularly like dumplings because mm. we've, it was very like community driven. Like we all came together and like made dumplings together. Yeah. That would be like a thing. Yeah. Um, kimchi, obviously like kimjang, that yeah. would be like a big one. She also like grew a lot of her own vegetables, like gennip, gochu, and then she would like do all of that, like shigor harmony hey, This stuff. is true farm to table, right? She would like dry all the peppers and make her own like gochugaru. Wow. She did all of these like very very korean things were you helping her too, like prep sometimes and like folding dumplings and i was always obsessed with like following grandma Grandma around around. yeah she sounds like a fairly interesting person like it it, no one else cared as a kid like my sister my sister my brother they would just be like outside playing with their friends and i would always be like oh harmony like what do you need a little sous chef since a very very young age like three years old wow what other hobbies and interests did you have though growing up other than maybe you know your grandma and and the cooking in the house Mm -hmm. i think that i was always very into art like anything creative so like um art school art classes drawing painting that was always my i always loved that and my mom was like very uh she was classically trained in piano so like she 
had like a piano school, blah, blah, blah. So like a lot of music as well. So very like creative. Wow. Yeah. But it was only me. Like my sister and brother weren't really like that. Really? Yeah. And also, I, I read that you didn't take an allowance growing up, right? And you were like, <laughs> like selling candy to kids. I'm like, so t- tell me about that too, and like how that transpired. So my dad would bring home like boxes of like candy, like from like Costco, yeah, wholesale, or like, yeah, wholesale. And obviously, it was for like us to eat, but I would like take that and like sell it, like on the bus or to like friends or whatever it took. That was me, like in second grade. That whole thing started and I started applying for like jobs at the mall and stuff when I was like 11 like 10 11 and I know you have to be like 12 or 13 or something like that but I was like maybe I could like lie on the <laughs> application and then I got, landed my first job when I was 13. Uh, what, what, what is it about about you though is this just like this eagerness to work or what do you think was what, where is this drive coming from? I just always wanted to be my own person, uh, like very like independent. Wow. And I was like that as a kid as well, um, like very young. And yeah. I think maybe it might be because of the middle child syndrome. I know my sister would like freak out if I say this again. <laughs> I always say it. I'm like middle child syndrome. <laughs> I have an older sister yeah. and a younger brother. Who, oh, you're in the middle. For me as a middle child, I always felt like... I, I needed to like get attention somehow or like just be independent. I think I think it's because of that or yeah. it just, just might be me. I don't know. In the next chapter of Esther's life, for college, Esther would venture into a path that her parents wanted, attending the pharmacy program at Rutgers University. It didn't take too long before Esther realized she wanted to pursue a completely different major. I actually went for pharmacy. So I got accepted into the pharmacy program in high school which so Rutgers pharmacy is like a six-year program wow and to get accepted it's like very hard yeah and once you do and go through the six years then you be automatically become a doctor back then I guess this was like I don't know 14 15 years ago that was like the hot job for a female to have so it was like my mom and my dad were like okay you have to become a pharmacist because like that's that's what they've heard probably from their friends yeah exactly exactly (laughs) and it was like the perfect like female korean girl job oh my god it sounds so typical like korean yeah so typical and they're like you can become a doctor and make six figures right out of college like that's amazing and like yaksa is like the pharmacist for a female is like perfect you'll it it was just like one of those things but how how was it uh, when you actually went to school and and started kind of studying that oh my god it was terrible (laughs) i hated i was like wait wait this is what i have to have to like count pill i'm just like not like very scientific either i mean it's like kind of like the opposite of being creative right right yeah complete opposite complete opposite things like by the book number oriented you're probably counting it's very monotonous maybe so not me and i try to like wiggle my creativity around everywhere to like pass those classes it was just so not me and I ended up dropping out the second year and yeah. didn't tell my parents for like until I was like graduating. And I'm like, um, so I'm graduating with a psychology degree and I dropped out of pharmacy two years ago. When you were in school though, you I heard, did you still work in restaurants kind of as a side? I did. Yeah. So like my first restaurant job was when I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a hostess, uh-huh. um, then became a server at the smallest like 20 seat Korean Japanese restaurant in my neighborhood. It yeah. was like the only one yeah. that existed yeah. in my neighborhood. And so I started working there very early front of the house and I pretty much like served all throughout um, high, school. high school. And then in college, um, I ended up getting a bartending job like near the school and 
and did that for a while. But I had a string of a lot of like odd jobs yeah. in, in college. Yeah. Like not only restaurants, but I've I did like caretaking for Korean grandparents, like being a translator, um, like in a nursing home. I did that. Um, I was also, I worked at like a corporate daycare as like a teacher's assistant yeah. um, for like preschool wow. kids. Yeah. I all, had, all really like hospitality driven though, like yeah. taking care of people. That's right. It is. It yeah. is. The turning tide for me was when I read that your parents purchased, I want to say it was like a breakfast, breakfast lunch spot. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And you ended up getting involved in that. Yeah, so when I graduated college, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to yeah. do. It was kind of, I was in this funk. I was looking for jobs. Right. Um, kind of unsure what I exactly wanted to do, but I, I assumed that it would be something corporate because that's what you, you just do, right? Yeah, right. Um, but then my parents bought this diner and um, they really had no idea how to run it, right? So um, after graduating, I moved home to help them manage it. Um, for like six months, and this was in like while I was looking for uh, a full-time full -time job. job. Um, and so I did that for like six months and helped them like get it, you know. Up and running. Up and running, um, help them manage like how to do like food inventory, like buying food and like even like, it just like the whole process. And it was really fun, actually. I really enjoyed it, you know. Um, but in the end, I did end up finding a corporate job, which was like in marketing at a tech company. And that's when like tech was just becoming- There's a boom. Yeah, yeah. crazy, yeah. And yeah, that's so not me either. <laughs> so not techie. <laughs> no, but when you went, so when you were helping run that restaurant, the family restaurant, that's, that's when you also kind of, is that when you decided you wanted to pursue culinary arts too? Like, or, or at least pursue it to a point where you wanted to go to ICE? Like, no. I didn't know still. I still thought that I was going to go into like a corporate yeah, job and become okay. like a professional. Yeah. Um, when I did that marketing job, that's when I realized, no way, I can't do this. Like I really felt like an ant, like in an ant farm. And that's what corporate life is really, you know, like it, it's just very hard to make like a very big impact or a difference. Yep. And I just felt like that was always my calling. Like right. how do I make like an impact in this world, right? Yeah. So that's when I really, I worked there for like three months, I think. And I was just like, I just, I'm done. Yeah. yeah, I was like done. I was like, I'm done. And I'm the type where if I don't like something, I know right away. I'm very like realistic. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I just know, like I hate it and I'm not going to be successful and I'm really bad at it. So yeah. bye. And moving on. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so you move on to ICE next? Yeah. So that's when I was like really thinking about like, really what, hard. Yeah. yeah. Really hard. Like what do I want to do and what am I really good at? Yeah. And I was like, uh, restaurants. Mm. So I went to culinary school and then thinking that I would work like a food corporate job. Oh, got it. Did you enjoy it though? Did you enjoy the culinary program there? So here's the thing. The, yeah. the day that I put on the whites was like the day I was like, okay, maybe I am meant to like be a chef because it just was just this strong emotional feeling when I put on those like whites for the first time and held a knife like in a, in that environment, setting, yeah. environment. It's, it's like something like awoke inside of me. I really, really loved culinary school. I think it was like the best days of like my life. Like it's just like so much fun. You know, you're just like breaking down animals and like cooking like for hours and hours. And like there's like endless ingredients and knowledge to be thrown around. You're like constantly just, stimulated. It, yeah. yeah, it was. And also I was like young and, you know, in your 20s, you have like all the energy in the world. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was really exciting. I think Food Network, which, you know, you worked there for three years in purchasing, 
I think that's kind of like what you were looking for more or less, right? It's still somewhat corporate, like it's mm -hmm. a big company, obviously. It's in media, it's still somewhat in food. Like what, what was that like working there? I think it was a very important step in my career to, yeah. to work at the Food Network and make all the connections that I did um, in the media world. And also it kind of gave me the lesson of like, okay, I don't want to work in corporate. Again, it like <laughs> keeps reinforcing. Yeah, reinforcing. I just needed to scratch the itch. I was already working in like kitchens when I ended up getting a job at Food Network. Like I was working in kitchens at night, and then I took the internship at Food Network during the day. So I was working like insane hours, like eighty to hundred hours a week. That was like my entire twenties, like working a lot. The reason why I took the Food Network internship, even though I knew that I loved like the kitchens, was because like. That was like my plan. You're smart, yeah. I ended up doing an internship, and I was gonna, I wasn't gonna do full time or anything uh, like that at the Food Network. But they opened a position up for me to uh, to work full time there. Wow. So that's when I was like, okay, like I guess this is like a once in a lifetime thing. Opportunity, yeah. yeah. It's really, really, really hard to get in to uh, get a full time job at Food Network kitchens because people stay when they're hired a full timer. Then you're they stay for like ten. 15, wow. 20 years. People just don't leave. I ended up taking the full-time job and working there for three years and making a ton of great connections that is so necessary in this industry and really kind of like paved my way into like who I am now. Well, talking of great connections, mm -hmm. it's literally in the same building. It's in the Chelsea market, mm -hmm. right? It's the same building of your first restaurant. And mm -hmm. I heard that this, you got a tip from someone because mm -hmm. Mukbar where it is now. Actually, when when Chelsea Market first opened, I think it was Questlove's yeah, fried yeah. chicken. Have you been there? I, w I haven't <laughs> been, but w I remember reading about it. It was uh. like all the rage. I read and mm -hmm. I was researching and I heard that's kind of how you came about that opportunity, if, mm -hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken. It is true. Yeah. If, if it wasn't for Food Network, I would have never opened my first restaurant in Chelsea Market, which is like the number one spot to like, I guess, open a first restaurant. It, you yeah. know, it's, it's pretty crazy. It was... Through, so we share the same elevator as the people who like lease the spaces. Uh, like so, the, the, the company Jamestown, who like owns yeah, the developers, building, yeah. the developers, and the people that manage Chelsea Market was a floor beneath Food, food Network. No way! Wow. So we shared like an elevator with like the guy that puts makes in, all the decisions. Yeah. yeah, and then that's kind of like how it started, and my friend called me and this was when i had already left food network and i was like sous chefing at uh La yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he calls me and i just started this job like a month ago and hey Questlove spot is going out and that's going to be available we should apply you you know we should apply for our concept there and i'm like are you crazy right now i just started this job like leave me alone don't do this <laughs> don't do this to me put ideas in my head but that's how i kind of like all started and of course once i have an idea i'm going for it yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Was a lot of pressure on you to to do this? I mean, succeeding Questlove, who obviously has a you know, fairly big cloud mm -hmm. behind his name. Like, what made you decide to fo actually follow through with this? Well, first of all, I was a nobody. Yeah. Like, nobody knew who I was. Right. Like, nobody knew who I, who I was. I was, like, 27 years old. Right. I was literally just got back into the kitchens, like, working. Like and a month ago. Yeah, like, a month ago. <laughs> like, before that, I was, like, a spoiled corporate yeah. you know like i had nothing to lose right mm. and i was like okay well like let me just try it out or like pitch my concept and see what happens yeah so i pitched the concept and even the concept of like doing korean ramen was 
sort of built in this like weird way. Like I thought it was kind of too like cheesy or not not cheesy, but like I didn't know if it would work because it's like very fusion and like people would maybe not understand. And like, you know, there's always like doubts. But in the end, like I really had nothing to lose. And I thought that at that point, ramen shops were like just blowing up like insanely. And you remember that time with the huge like ramen boom. Not many ramen shops. It was only like Ipudo and there was like Toto and then there was like a few other ramen shops, but it wasn't really like a, it was just becoming. It was just starting. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And Korean food was still non-existent basically besides K-Town. Yeah. This was 2014, right? 13, mm-hmm. 14? 13, 14. A while ago. So it was like, yeah. I know Huni opened a spot in Hell's Kitchen, but he was like the only one that yeah, opened something at the time. beyond K-Town. Yeah. I knew I wanted to do Korean food. Obviously it was like you know, I, that's my thing. Right. I knew it would be a Korean concept. I just like had to mold it to fit Chelsea market. And that's how like the ramen concept was born. And when I pitched it, they actually loved it. And I pitched it in a way where it's like, okay, Korean food is, you don't even know what's going on. It's going to blow up right now. And we're going to be like one of the first. So it was that. And then, and then I pitched like ramen. There's no ramen shops in Chelsea. Like why? That's crazy. Ramen is blowing up. Yeah. So that's how I like pitched it, and they were like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> you know. <laughs> they were all like, because like they had sandwich shops and bakeries. Food was not like what it is like right now. These concepts were still like building out, sort of, and it was kind of like the start of all that. I didn't think that it would work, yeah. or I was just kind of like just pitched it to see, and like they were all into it, and then that's when I started like really developing the the brand. Yeah. It. So, yeah. Since we're talking about it already, the brand, the name is uh, inspired by mukbang, right? <laughs> yes, it is, and I try to keep it simple by saying like. Like it's just it means like eat bar mukbang, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's really it, the inspiration came from mukbang yeah. because I was. You watch. I'm I'm still obsessed with mukbang. <laughs> like I literally like it's all over my phone. I'm like obsessed yeah. with watching. My girlfriend is too. Is I don't know I, why. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't get. It. My girlfriend's always watching mukbang. Right. Yeah. Me and my sister are obsessed with it, and like yeah, people. Are, <laughs> some people like really understand it, or just like really don't get why. I think for, for me, the way I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but. You initially started with the ramen, but would you would it be a fair to say that you used it as a vehicle to introduce people to curry other facets of Korean food and Korean cuisine? Yeah, like when you first opened. For sure. Now it's different, just because the industry has just changed. Yeah. Um, but when I was first starting out, it was like to sell Korean food in that space wouldn't work, like by itself. You know, if I would just sold like regular Korean food there, like it. I knew it, it had to have like some sort of edge and you know, we're, you have to think about like your, your, the people that Target are Target market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in Chelsea market, obviously it's like heavily tourists. Mm. So it's like, what are these like tourists feel comfortable eating? What, what do people feel comfortable eating when it comes uh, to Asian food? So noodles, uh, everybody loves noodles. Approachable. And yeah. Very, very approachable. Which is why I chose like ramen and ramen was a very hot word. Like, the word ramen was just like cool. So it was like a combo of all that, which I think was a very, very important and smart business decision for me to do. Like if I just did like rice bowls and stuff. That's true. I don't know if it would have. I don't think we'll have like the same cachet Mm -hmm. and the the brand kind of like recognition. Yeah, also like I felt like proud to have like made up this like concept of like Korean ramen, right? Yeah. It didn't exist. It really didn't exist Mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and like all of our bowls were made with like Japanese techniques, but like all Korean ingredients, and that was like our thing. Yeah. Now we have expanded the menu a lot more, and now we do like rice bowls. We do like more cr- tr- 
traditional Korean yeah. things. But um, in the end, our ramen is still the main the main focus, yeah. at least in that location. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 2017. 2017. 2017 oh. <laughs> was a was a busy busy year for you. Oh yeah. I can't believe you did this unless in the same year you the worst expanded. Year of my life. I know, but I feel like we need to talk about it. You expanded Mukbar into a very difficult location, and you opened a private event cocktail bar Lower East Side concept. Also a very difficult location. Also, <laughs> yeah. I want. I just want to. I just want to pick your brain here. 2017. What was that like? Just doing these two things. I mean, this is the first time you expanded a concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are neighborhoods are so different. From Chelsea Market, yeah. right? We talked about Target Market. These are completely <laughs> different. Yeah. Oh my God. I yeah. don't know what I was thinking. So I feel like entrepreneurship is an, a, a very long education, right? It's yeah. just those two concepts were just like a very expensive like education, basically like like grad school. Mm. People pay a lot of money for that. Like, <laughs> you can open a restaurant and get the same education. No, uh, but no. Seriously, it was. I think what happens when your your first concept is pretty successful is that you get kind of this feeling of like you can do anything yeah i'm sure yeah. i'm sure so i think that's how it was for me and i was still like pretty young so i felt like i had like everything to you're, do. you're ready for the next thing yeah exactly so i kind of overcommitted. Yeah. is what happened and then with both locations like the first one was like why on earth would someone go into that location which is like a very up-and-coming neighborhood especially like three four years ago when I first signed a concept or find, signed a lease. And it was also like completely empty. It was a vacant building for like over 20 years. Oh. And so I like literally spent so much money and time building, building it, out. it out, building the hoods, building, building. There's the nothing bed, before nothing. It was like a empty space. It's like building a restaurant from scratch, which wow. nobody should do. Wow. I don't know what compelled me to, to like do that, yeah. but I guess like, it, it was just like this urge. I was like, I want to like build it from like scratch and design every little element. Yeah. I want to learn how to build the hood and like work with it. GCs. Yeah. And I, it was stupid though. It's stupid. In terms of, I wish I had like a mentor that told me, are you crazy? Why would you do that? Right. But no. to be fair, you wanted to do, you wanted to expand Mukbar into more of a full service concept. So this opportunity was for you to kind mm. of pursue that route, right? Where yeah. you wanted to do more than just ramen exactly but i could have done that at already yeah (laughs) an existing space or like a better neighborhood but like i chose everything wrong like the wrong neighborhood the the wrong kind of like build out situation everything was kind of wrong and even the timing was wrong because after i signed that lease i was like oh i think i can like do this other cocktail bar thing with like these guys and like i signed a lease in the lower east side with them too and it kind of like it was supposed to be like a year apart with opening but because I was building a restaurant from scratch. So one, one of them get delayed and one of them mm-hmm. wasn't, and then kind of overlapped it. Yeah. And so it was like three months of each other of opening and I was dying, like dying. Yeah. I mean, how did, how did Miss You come about? And, and the name is an homage to your grandma, mm-hmm. right? I really wanted to get into the um, more like the alcohol side of the game just because Mukbar is such like an eating concept. Mm. It's an eatery, oh, right? Okay. And I was like, oh, well, you know, nightlife or like obviously selling alcohol, you make a lot more money. How do I get into that side of things? And so I partnered up with these guys who own like this nightclub in the Lower East Side and they owned it for like over 15 years. And this is a place where I used to like have a lot of my birthday parties. Mm. Like if I've had at least five birthday parties there. So the owner and I became pretty good friends and 
he actually invested some money into the Brooklyn location and we just became friends and then we were like, oh, let's partner and do this, do this concept do yeah. this concept as well. So it kind of just haphazardly came together. Yeah. It wasn't like a thought out process. Yeah. It was just like, oh, let's do this. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. It was like that, <laughs> literally. And he's like very bro -y. I know I can kind of just like overcommit like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> That's kind of how it happened. I was like, oh my God, it actually, we're actually doing this. That That's how it happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, but Miss You is fun. It's like a totally like different thing. Why Miss You and not Misses You? Is there a reason behind that? Just because it's like uh, more like a pun, mm. you know, like miss I Miss You. you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. there's a cocktail thing that I Miss You there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was, I mean, it's been two years now that you've had both spaces for the most part. What was, how is it now? And what was the biggest like learning curve? Well, the first year was like deathly for me. It was just so difficult trying to run all of the operations. Now, because you have now three restaurants. Yeah, and yeah. it was really more because of my team wasn't like set up, right? Mm. So it's it's really, you can't do anything alone as an entrepreneur, obviously. And I know that firsthand. Like I'm very, very good at delegating. <laughs> <laughs> good. Maybe too good at it. <laughs> you have to like really trust people. And I think with the first mukbar, when I first opened that, I was really a crazy person, like anal about everything. I needed to do everything myself. Yeah, like really, and that's not who I am. Like it's not my style at all. But I became like that because I was so like scared and nervous. And I thought that that's how you have to be as an owner. But I quickly realized, okay, no, it's not. Like you have to trust people and you have to like let people do what they're good at. Mm. And, they're, and I'm not good at everything, obviously. Mm. So you have to find that person that is better at that one job than you and like let them grow from there. That I realized with my first location. So like when I opened second and, and third restaurant, like the first thing I've always thought of was like, okay, who, who, who I need to find talent. Like it's about the people, right? So building that team and that core foundation was definitely like the hardest thing and it took me a really long time right now we're at a pl i'm at a place where i'm like oh my god my team is so amazing that i am in the way if i'm even like at the restaurant like uh, they wow. are so so good at what they do like way better than i can be because i'm now like a crazy more of the creative yeah yeah i'm a create creative i'm very add i have like a million projects and i'm always trying to grow the business and that's like my role that's your role now yeah mm -hmm. but in terms of the operations on a day-to-day -day or like being organized and being like very meticulous like my team is like crazy they're like amazing but to find this core and kind of figure out how we all work together that was like definitely the most challenging yeah. thing i honestly i think back to the days of like that that time of like just fig trying to figure everything out yeah i you just have to be like super scrappy i think that's what i what i literally if i didn't know something i like try to figure out who i know that might be able to answer that question or like you know now the internet is like it's like your bible you can like look up anything and everything maybe some of it's not true but it i mean not, not facts but like still you can find whatever you need and yeah. in the end it was just like you had to have this like weird confidence in yourself like this confidence that you're not going to fail and failure really isn't an option and I think if I had a mentor, it would have like messed with my mind more. Like I would have gotten too into my head because sometimes you just have to like do it yourself, you know? So if I had someone saying like, well, you should do it like this, you should do it like this, then like, so this is it gets more confusing. No, so this is interesting, yeah. right? So it's like, how do you find that balance? Cause I, I totally get what you're saying. Uh -huh. Like if you listen to too many things that are said around you, 
that also impacts how you think. And it, some you get confused. You got to be very decisive yeah. as um, someone who's like opening a restaurant for the first time. Yeah. You just make a decision, stick to it. And I think that sort of mentality was like what drove me. And I didn't have time to even like look for a mentor or like I just I was literally like I had gotten to notice that they were giving me the space and it took me like four months of like excruciating competition to even get the space and when they told me on um, 2014 January 1st literally really? New Year's Day yeah wow. he called me and he was like we're giving you the space wow. that's when I maybe should have been excited but I was literally scared I was like oh my god now I have three months to like open a restaurant and I've never done it before what am I gonna do and from there on it was just like a crazy like whirlwind of like three months is, is a crazy turnaround yeah. time three months they were like, you have to, and, you, and it was on our lease like you have to open by this date or like or else yeah like I, I think they're like pulling the project then or something like that it was oh something crazy God. so like I literally had like less than three months to build out the brand build out the space build out you know obviously the food program hire and all this stuff like I I don't know how I did it <laughs> It's crazy what you can do when you put your mind on something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was like that kind of drive. I don't think I'm not going to say it's never going to happen again, but it's it's just different. And, you know, and when you're doing that at a young age and you feel like you have nothing else but this and it's like, you know, it's going to like determine who you are. You just end up figuring it out. Mm. Yeah. And I think it was great that I didn't really have a mentor to like guide me. Yeah. I think that's a key thing. Yeah. You just got to like do it on your own. I think it's yeah. some, some things you just got to do on your own. Right. I think in the end, it's like you can't be afraid. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because, yes, I've made a lot of mistakes and, you know, there were failures and whatever. But without those, there is no success. And mm -hmm. in the end, like you have to just like go for what you want and like, yeah. not be scared of it. Yeah. Because fear is like the only thing that really stops someone from like actually doing, doing it. it. You know, like people say a lot of things and say like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do it. But it's like, what's stopping you? Probably fear, Yeah. right? Being scared of like failure or being scared of like not being good enough or being anything. And it's always about fear, right? Yeah. And I think that's like the real differentiating factor of like a true entrepreneur mm. is like in the end, like you can't, you just got to take risks and not be scared and just like go for it. And you could, you'll probably fail once in a while. Yeah. That's okay. From the moment Esther put on her chef's whites to now building out her mock bar brand, she's played a big part in the new renaissance of Asian restaurants opening in New York City. She's soon debuting a new outpost of mock bar in Midtown Manhattan, as well as producing her own podcast with iHeartRadio, actually. Follow Esther at Troy Bites and mock bar at mock bar underscore NYC to stay in the loop. Thank you, Esther, for being on the show. Um, following my previous conversation with Jenny, it brings immense pride to me as a fellow Korean American to meet yet another influential figure that has shifted the paradigm on how people have become more familiar with our cuisine. Um, wish you the very best in 2020. But personally, I'm very much looking to listening to your podcast on Korean culture and cuisine. That's it for today. We'll see you next week on With Warm Welcome. <laughs>